0: Our scripture this morning comes out of the book of James. Uh, I believe uh, Caitlin is coming uh, to read our scripture for us this morning. Uh, and um, our, our scripture comes out of, again, the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I believe this morning it's going to be on our screens uh, for you to be able to follow along a bit more easily. Again, James chapter 1, or excuse me, James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13.
1: My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? You really keep the royal law found in the scripture Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because, the, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment.
0: This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There is there's just something about that name. Master. Master. Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain, Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just something about that name, amen. You may be seated. Twenty-five years ago, almost to the day, almost to the day, twenty-five years ago, my wife and I moved a thousand miles away from where we had ever lived. I had really not been, even been out of the state of Oklahoma all that much, but certainly had never lived outside of the state of Oklahoma, and 25 years ago, again, almost to the day, we moved 1,000 miles away to a little town called Wilmore, Kentucky. That was where I was getting ready to begin seminary, and um, when we got there, I was hired on as the, as the groundskeeper for the seminary president's house. And so I mowed yards and I I trimmed hedges and uh, reclaimed property that had been long laid dormant. And um, so being part of, uh, of, uh, of the grounds crew there at the seminary president's house put me in the physical plant department. And so anytime they needed some, some extra things done, uh, they knew I was a brand new seminary student. I was uh, looking for a way to, to be able to pay for seminary. And so they, they uh, contacted me one day and said, hey, we have some work to do up at the seminary. Uh, there's, uh, I, we, we need you to meet a man at the seminary, and we're going to be redesigning some of the basement in one of the, in one of the buildings. Now it's going to be pretty hard work. It's going to be nasty work that day. Make sure you wear your work clothes. Uh, You're going to be uh, the guys. He's coming to saw through a concrete wall. And so I didn't know who it was I was going to be meeting. I had no no idea who it was. Um, And so I showed up the next uh, that next morning, early in the morning. And and sure enough, I I got there and all the doors were locked and um, I found a way to get into the building, made my way down into the basement that the electricity had been turned off in the basement because we were going to be um, cutting through a concrete wall and they didn't they wanted to make sure there weren't any electrical lines going through that concrete wall and also it was a wet saw that we would be using and so we were gonna be standing in some water and so they had shut off all the electricity and so as I made my way down into this dark basement out in the again in the in the middle of a building that was completely completely vacant I met the guy that I was going to be working with that day and he was a um, he was a guy that I had never been this close to he was the kind of guy I'd never been to someone that looked like this again I was I was farm fresh I was right off the farm from a small town in far western Oklahoma I had not been really exposed to a lot of different kinds of people and this man was well he was unique he had long braided hair. He had he had put his hair up in a not just a ponytail, but he had braided his hair and the braid came down to the bottom of his back. He had a had a long bushy unkept beard. He was wearing a t-shirt that he had cut the sleeves out of. His his pants were um, were definitely worn. They had holes all in them. And then he had tattoos from every part of his exposed skin had a tattoo on it. I, I'll, now, remember, this is 25 years ago. It was not as, quite as common to see uh, tattoos like it is today. In fact, this was the closest that I had ever stood to someone with a, with a sleeve on his arm, a tattoo sleeve on his arm. I was scared to death. Oh yeah, he was about 6'4 and weighed about 295 pounds. He was a mountain of a man. We didn't say much as we got to work that morning. My job really was just to assist him, anything he needed. Primarily what he needed was someone to, uh, to hold the water hose so that it wouldn't be cut and the, the large wet saw that he was using again, we were we were cutting a, a hole in a in a thick concrete wall. That concrete wall was about uh, 12 inches of poured concrete, and so the the blade on that uh, on that wet or that uh, on that on that wet saw was about 30 inch blade. It was a massive blade. It was loud and dirty work. Throughout the morning, we had a, a number of different breaks, and I kind of would go my way, and, and he would uh, typically sit in silence and, and do the things that he needed that he needed to do. I made sure. I made sure, because I didn't know exactly who I was going to be working with, I made sure that Amy would bring me lunch that day. That way, if I went missing, at least it would be, it would be uh, recorded or something by noon of that day. And so she brought me lunch, and I remember we sat down on, on the steps uh, in that basement, and, um, and he sat down beside us. He had his own lunch as well. And it was him uh, that started the conversation. He said, you know, he said, I've, uh, I've been coming to this seminary for about three years, doing some odd jobs. He said, I work concrete and, and do some other construction jobs. And he said, you know, they, they'll call me and I'm, you know, I'm looking, always looking for a little bit of extra work. And I've been coming here for three years. Three years I've been coming to this seminary. And he said, you know, not one time has anyone ever told me about Jesus. He said, this is a seminary. I mean, this is a place where, where, where they're training young people like you uh, to, to be pastors. And in three years, not a, not a person has come up to me and talked to me and told me about Jesus. He said, I know that it's because of the way I, I look and the way that I dress. He said, let me tell you something. I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a committed Christian. Now, I used to be a part of a biker gang. I w- I've been in prison. I've, I've, been, I've been into all kinds of drugs before. But Jesus met me and changed my life. I continue to dress this way because I, I have a ministry to biker gangs in the area. But I find, it, I find it fascinating that not one time, not one time, has a person tried to share Jesus with me. It was an astounding lesson that I, that I haven't forgotten in the last 25 years. And so began my seminary career. Throughout seminary, I I had jobs that put me and exposed me, put me in places and exposed me to people that were very, very different than I am, put me uh, into positions of being around the poor, which I really had never been around the poor before. It put me in positions of folks that lived way out in the country. 20 or 30 miles outside of this small town in Kentucky, and they didn't have running water in their houses. They didn't have, they, they didn't have flooring. They had dirt floors in their houses. I'd never, I'd never seen such a thing. Throughout this past week, as I have been thinking about this passage of Scripture, I have been so convicted. I've been so convicted because I found that there are there have been few times in my life that I haven't shown favoritism, that I that I haven't that I haven't been breaking God's word in our passage this morning, and I know that I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that that struggles with showing favoritism, or as the uh, the English Standard Version says, uh, showing partiality. Toward someone, especially especially uh, those who are th- those who are poor, those we, we we do it all the time. We prejudge people all the time. We prejudge people because of, of their of their status in our community. I mean, if someone, if the, if, if the mayor or if the, if the fire chief or if a city council person or if a, uh, if, a, if a state senator walks in and we act very differently, we know exactly who they are, we treat them with respect and, and dignity, but if, it's, but if it's someone that's dressed a little bit, I mean, it's obvious that they are not people of means, we treat them differently. We all struggle with it. Again, whether it's someone's status in life or, or whether it's someone's age, have you ever noticed? Have you ever found yourself thinking someone over the age of 75 or so, you know, obviously they don't have much to contribute. No need of listening to them. Or it may be just the opposite. Anyone under 25 years old, they don't know anything. There's no need of listening to them. Dare I mention race? In our culture, how we prejudge others because of their race. Dare I say anything about language or 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 country of origin? Even here at church, we have a dress code. I mean, you're supposed to dress a proper way, aren't you? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I was raised in a very traditional home. You dressed up when you went to church. Uh, throughout the years, on and off, I have worn jeans in uh, different worship services, and it's really, really hard for me really hard for me. We prejudge. How about beauty? Studies have shown that beautiful people earn more money than those who are not considered beautiful. Isn't that astounding? I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with showing favoritism. Today we're continuing our series dealing with the book of James. In the book of James, we find faith in the flesh. I, I, love, I love this book because it is so very practical. James talks about real, live faith. Again, faith in the flesh. It's not just faith is some concept. Faith is not just some sort of belief. Faith is not just a heart matter. Faith is not just a head matter. Faith is about living out our beliefs living out our convictions. He goes on to say in another another part of of James, and we'll look at this here in a few weeks, he goes on to say that faith without works is dead. Faith without works isn't real faith, he says. So if we're going to be a people of, of real faith, we must live it out. And James says it incredibly plainly and simply, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. Show no favoritism. Show no favoritism. It's, again, it's a simple message. He goes on and, and tells us why we are not to show favoritism or partiality. He says that we are not to show favoritism or partiality because because God has chosen the poor. Listen to these words in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? Now, that can strike our ears just a little bit odd. God has chosen the poor? This is not the message that we hear from some televangelists or some large uh, evangelists, uh, large church uh, pastors. Uh, They say that God has chosen the rich instead. God wants you to be rich, they say. But James here says, and I believe this is the very Word of God as well, James says that God has chosen the rich. Or, excuse me, God has chosen the poor. Now, it's not that God hates the rich, but God has chosen the, the poor to be rich in faith. Did you, see, did you hear that little play on words? God has chosen the, the poor to be rich in faith, and I found that to be so very true. The poorest places that I have ever been are the places where I have found the most faithful Christians in my, in my travels across, across the world. If you want to find worship that, that, that is, that is passionate, that is bold, that is, that is no holds barred, you go to somewhere that is incredibly poor. Places like Latin America, places in Africa, northern Europe, places, parts of Asia as well. You go into those impoverished countries and you will find passionate, faithful people among among the poor. Even here at First Church, there is incredibly heartfelt worship among the Christians who attend our Friday Night Alive homeless worship service. They're pouring out their hearts. They're pouring out their lives before the Lord. And here's why. Here's why I believe that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Here's why because they have no choice but to rely upon the Lord. They have no choice but to rely upon the Lord. When was the last time, if ever, when was the last time that you had to rely upon God for your next meal? Have you ever had to do that? I mean, I thought back in my my life and I mean, there have been times, especially during seminary, we, we didn't quite have enough money and, and we were really, really struggling. We never, we never went without food. However, however, the, the poor, they're forced to rely upon God even for their most basic necessities of life. God has made them rich in faith, rich in faith. We are to refrain from showing partiality, because we are, we are like the poor as well. We are nothing. We are nothing. We are, we are nothing but sinners. We bring nothing to our salvation. We are poor in spirit. If anyone should be able to relate to the poor, it is devoted Christians. James Boyce, the late Presbyterian pastor and author, speaks to all Christians when he said, In the perspective of Christ, we are all poor. We are underprivileged. We are all nobodies who only by his grace have become somebody in responding to the gospel. We of all people, we of all people believers in Jesus Christ, we all we ought to to go to those who have no stature in this world's eyes so that so that as the gospel is spread and they respond to it, they might find stature before God. We were no people. We've been abandoned. We have been orphaned by the world, but we have found significance and we have found meaning in the powerful, in the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. And we are just like the poor. If there's anyone else in all of the world that ought to know what the poor is going through, it is you and me, as faithful Christians. Because we know what it's like to stand with nothing on our behalf. And we do that every day before the Lord. We are nobodies, but we have become somebodies by the grace of our Lord Jesus He, con- he continues in verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man, James said. Are not the rich the ones who oppressed you and the ones who drag you into court? Sounds like this is James' version of class warfare, doesn't it? It sounds like James is trying to set up this warfare between the, the rich and the poor. It's always the rich who are oppressing oppressing the poor, those dirty, nasty, mean rich people. But I think it was simply an issue in his time, and I believe it's an issue in our time as well. The rich exploit the poor. When I was in Honduras a number of years ago, I went to Honduras a couple of times on a mission trip. And the first trip that I took, we landed in um, San Pedro Sula, or excuse me, in Tegucigalpa, the, the capital city of Honduras. And we drove about, it's about a three hour drive up to San Pedro Sula. And um, the pastor was driving uh, this particular day from the airport. It was an... Inc- I'd, I'd never... I mean, I'd been to Puerto Rico, I had been to some other places, but I had never seen poverty like I saw in Honduras immediately when I got off the plane. There were probably seven or eight burned-out planes along the runway there at, at, um, in Tegucigalpa, the airport there in Tegucigalpa. Um, there were armed guards, and when I say armed guards, I mean armed guards with machine guns, Uh, meeting us as we got off the planes right there on the tarmac. And there were armed guards everywhere, and you could tell that this was a country with an incredibly high crime rate because this was an incredibly, incredibly poor country. Depending on where you are, or at that time anyway, depending where you were, uh, the unemployment rate there in Honduras was between 60 and 80 percent. Between 60 and 80% of the people did not have jobs. And so as we were driving through the mountainside, I, we looked over and we saw a number of kind of newer homes. And when I say homes, I mean, they really were, um, I mean, they were an 8 by 10 little home, cinder block home. Uh, but there were a whole bunch of them. before, I mean, most of the other homes were made of tin or made of pallets or made of kind of whatever someone could throw up to get some sort of shelter. But next to these newer homes was a was a large brand new building, or it looked brand new to me compared to the rest of the things that we had seen. So I asked the pastor. I said, "Now, what's this over there?" He said, "Oh, he said, oh, that's the that's the Hanes factory." I said, "Really? what What do they What do they make there?" He said, "Oh, they make you know those white undershirts, those T-shirts, uh, the Hanes T-shirts." He said, "That's that's what they that's what they make there." I said, "Well." well, who, who works there? He said, oh, oh, oh! Only, only, the, only the luckiest people, only the most fortunate people work in that factory. I said, why are they fortunate? He said, oh, because the pay is so good. I said, well, how much do they, I mean, I don't want <laughs> to be offensive here, but how much do they pay? He said, can you believe they pay, actually pay an entire $5 per day for those workers? I said, $5 a day? He said, oh, yeah. I said, so, I mean, are they given then, I mean, are they given some wages and clothes or something, too? He said, oh, no, 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 no. They would never be able to afford those Haynes t-shirts that they're making. I was just struck. I was struck at, at, at how different it is when it, comes to the, when it comes to the perspective of wealth around the world. I mean, I don't think that I'm rich at all. I'm wearing a Haynes undershirt, this morning I don't even think anything about it but only the wealthiest making 5 dollars a day in Honduras not wealthy enough to be able to afford one Hanes t-shirt. When we say that the rich exploit the poor I think we're talking about us. I think we're talking about you and and me. If you are in the United States, just being here in this country immediately puts you in the top 20% on income in the world. Just being here, whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job, whether you have any kind of income coming in at all, being inside the borders of the United States immediately puts you in the top 20% in the world in income because the safety net that we have in this country is so broad so broad. An epidemic of the poor in our country, one of the great epidemics and the poor in our country is obesity. You go to other countries and the middle class is barely barely having enough food to eat. If you are below the poverty line in places like Honduras or other places in Central and Latin America or places in Africa or places in Northern Europe, the poor literally are starving to death. We are the rich who are exploiting the poor. Adolf Eichmann was one of the primary architects of the Holocaust he was a German SS soldier. He was, he was later tried at Nuremberg for his war crimes. And during that trial, he faced his accusers. He faced many, um, many who had been in the concentration camps that he had overseen and were able to survive those concentration camps. On one particular day, on, on, on one particular day, a, a man by the name of Yehael. Denur, he had miraculously survived a concentration camp at Auschwitz. And Denur came and, and tested, came to testify that day as he walked into the courtroom. And, and Eichmann was in behind a, 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 glass, a glass cage as the two men's eyes met. The, you could tell that, the, the, that those who were there at the trial that day, they were just waiting to see they were waiting to see what Deneur had to say. As the two men's eyes met, Deneur began to sob uncontrollably and collapse there on the floor. Years later, Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes interviewed Yehiel Deneur, and he asked him what had happened that day. Why, why had he sobbed and collapsed at the trial? Was he overcome with hatred for this man? Was, he, was, it, was it fear? Was it, was it the horrifying memories? Neuer's answer was absolutely stunning. He said he suddenly realized that, that Eichmann was not some godlike authority in a military uniform who sent thousands to their deaths. He was just an ordinary man. And then, said Neuer, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable of, of doing this, I am exactly like he. Eichmann is all of us. We are all the rich who oppress the poor. We are all those who have oppressed others, who have looked down upon others, who have shown favoritism. We we are the rich. James says, finally, it's, it's a sin. Showing favoritism or partiality, no matter based upon what, it's, it's a sin. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I don't know that James could put it any more plainly showing favoritism, showing partiality, prejudging someone based upon their outward appearances, based upon their beauty, based upon the way that they are dressed, based upon their income level, based upon their social status, based upon their age, based upon their gender, based upon their race, based upon their religion, based upon their language, based upon their country of origin. It is a sin. Flat out. So what do we do? How do we, how do we respond to this? Again, he says you break the law of love. When you break the law of love, you sin. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you don't do that, you sin. So how, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? Continues in verse 12. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Be merciful not showing favoritism, not showing partiality, but showing mercy. Standing with those who are uh, those who are oppressed arm-in-arm and hand-in-hand. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. While breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced he faced incredible obstacles. Everywhere he went, he faced a crowd that was yelling and shouting angry insults at him because, because he was African American. Even in his home stadium in Brooklyn, it was a primarily a white neighborhood. Even his hometown fans, they began to, all, they began to, uh, to, to call him all kinds of names. They began to threaten his family as well the story is told of a of a game in cincinnati cincinnati at that time was the was the southernmost major league baseball city in the league and it was again I, I know cincinnati well just on the border between cincinnati or excuse me between kentucky and ohio it was a it was a southern it was a southern city and there was a man on the on the brooklyn dodgers team who, who grew up in Louisville, Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese was the, was the shortstop. Jackie Robinson played second base. On the, in the bottom of the third, the bottom of the third inning, um, Jackie Robinson mad, made an error. He had let a ball go between his legs, and the crowd really began to let him have it. They were jeering him. They were shouting insults. They were using all kinds of, of horrible, awful language. And likewise, throughout the game, Throughout the game, they were beginning to jeer Pee Wee Reese because because he was one of them, yet he he had been so bold to be on the same team as an African-American. How dare him. So there Jackie Robinson was there standing at second base with his head down, listening to the shouts and the screams of the fans. Pee Wee Reese had finally had enough. He quietly walked over, quietly walked over to Jackie Robinson, and in front of his entire hometown, his hometown fans, he put his arm around Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was asked about that story later in life. He said, Pee Wee Reese saved my career. Pee Wee Reese saved my life. Because you see, he was was willing to stand hand in hand and arm in arm with those who are oppressed, those who are on the outside. Dear sisters and brothers, the Lord Jesus wants us, empowers us to stand with those who are on the outside what Mission Week is here is about here at First Church. It's why we send our money to support our missionaries serving around the world. Although we do things here in the life of our city, we know that there is even greater needs out in the globe. So I pray, I hope that you will join with us this week in committing to God what God, what God wants you to give to support our global missionaries, to support our local ministries. You see, we can say we have faith, but if we do nothing about it, it's not faith at all. Show no favoritism. Stand arm in arm and hand in hand with those who are on the outside. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord, indeed, we know that we have shown favoritism time and time and time again. For many of us, it's those those hidden places in our hearts, those places that we don't even want to admit are there, those dark places where we think less of others because of the color of their skin, because of their first language because of their social status, because of their wealth. O oh Lord, first forgive us. Forgive us and help us to realize that we are just like the poor, for we bring nothing, we have nothing as we stand before You. And Lord, empower us to stand hand in hand, arm in arm, with those who are on the outside, with the oppressed, with the poor. Come and meet us, Lord Jesus. In the powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen.